Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we'd love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. My name is uh, Chuy Rodriguez, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning and share the Word of God. Um, as you know, Pastor Bill is uh, enjoying a, an unexpected trip to Israel, and uh, please be praying for him. He, he, I know, I know he's, en- he's enjoying it, but um, he needs rest, and we need to make sure that our pastors are well rested, and, and this is, I'm really happy for, for him to take this opportunity, so if you remember or see his post, pray for him as well. Um, so I, I, I have the privilege of uh, preaching this morning, and um, we're going to go ahead and, and pray, and then we're going to dive into our text this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can um, open it in Luke 14, and then we'll resume after we pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for everything that you uh, provide for us. Um, Lord, I pray that this morning you, your spirit will, uh, first of all, guide me to uh, faithfully exp- uh, ex- exp- explain your word. And I pray that your spirit will guide us all so that we can hear what you want us to hear and, and act in the way that you want us to act this way and respond to the gospel in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and read our text today. is Luke chapter 14, and we're going to be reading verses 35, 25 all the way to the end of the passage or the, or the chapter, which is 35. <clears throat> it will also be on the screens for you. If, you. if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back, and they are free for you to take if you do not own one. Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate? Whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the, others, while the others is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it Saltiness be restored, it is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. 
Uh, so today, <clears throat> I, I, I've realized as a pastor that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians. I, I pastored a church in Mexico City for five years almost, and, and, and a lot of people introduce themselves as Christians, or they call themselves Christians. Many, many people actually say, I'm a disciple, I, I'm a follower. There's, there's different terminology uh, for this, but this passage today confronts us with that question. This passage is a hard passage. What, just we, what we just read is a, it's a something that Jesus says that it's really hard because it actually calls us to count the cost. Jesus is telling us that if we want to be his disciples, we must first evaluate what that means. And that's not the way I, I was introduced to Christianity. When I first became a Christian, or, or when I thought I became a Christian, uh, it, it was presented to me as something that it was going to be easy. In fact, it was presented to me as something that was going to basically solve all my problems. I was introduced to a gospel that told me that Jesus was the answer to all my problems. And what that, what that meant was, are you struggling financially? Well, come to Jesus. He will provide for you. Are you having trouble in your marriage? Come to Jesus. He will solve the problems of your marriage. Whatever the, your problem was, Jesus was the answer. So I was never introduced to this. In fact, I, I, I've been in campaigns or, or massive events where, where people are called to come to Jesus with this premise. Come to Jesus and he's, he will be the solution to anything and everything. But I was never, never really told, hey... You want to follow Jesus? Count the cost. And this is what this text is saying, is doing. Jesus is giving us two examples of people who are uh, counting the cost. The first one is a guy who, who's about to build a tower. And, and Jesus tells the people, hey, if you're about to build a tower, or imagine someone who's about to build a tower, make sure you have the resources to finish it. Count the four before realizing that you, you are in above your head. The second example he gives is, is of a king who's about to go to war, and he needs to evaluate and, and actually see if he's able to confront this other king. Or he better just ask for uh, terms of peace. And this is what Jesus is doing with us through this passage this morning. We must evaluate, pause for a moment, and think. Am I truly willing to do what Jesus requires from me to follow him? Do we really know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? So this passage calls us to understand what is it that we signed up for? And this, this passage actually begs the question, are you a disciple? If you answer yes, or you say you're a Christian, we can use either one of those. I, I, I think the more biblical term is disciple rather than Christian. If you answer yes, today you are called to re-examine that very faith you say you have. So this passage is a reminder and a call to reflection of our lives as Christians. And, and if you answer no, or you, say, you, you don't call yourself a Christian, this is an opportunity to know what this is all about. In fact, maybe after this sermon, you can either solidify your decision to, to follow Jesus and take a step forward, or, or maybe... Solidify your decision of your rejection of Jesus. And the Bible and Jesus seems to be okay with it as well. 
So I want to I wanna hi- highlight uh, five different things from this text that I think are important for us as we evaluate our faith. So the first one is that Jesus invites anyone to be his disciple. Anyone is welcome to be a disciple. Verse 26 says, if anyone comes to me, Jesus is opening his arms to every single person. Anyone can come to Christ and follow him. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been. Jesus invites everyone. The gospel is a presentation for everyone to follow Jesus. Following Jesus Jesus is not restricted by your race or by your education or your economic status or anything else. The invitation to follow Jesus is for anyone, everywhere. But we need to realize, what is it that Jesus is inviting them to? He's not inviting them to just be his fans. He's not inviting them to just be a follower or an acolyte. He, he's inviting people to be his disciples. His disciples. And, and, and what is a disciple? And I think this text will answer this question. The first thing I note is that Jesus highlights for us, or the text highlights for us, is that to be a disciple means that you are not just part of a crowd. Notice, notice that Jesus is being followed by crowds. I don't know if you notice, but it's, it's a plural word. It's not just one crowd. Jesus, on this passage, is walking, or he's already starting to make his way towards Jerusalem. So every town he went to, people just followed him. And crowds were combining and merging, and, and crowds were accompanying him. And something that is very clear, not just from this text, but honestly, if you read, if you read all of the Gospels, you will realize that Jesus is not really into gathering crowds. He, he's not just looking for crowds or, or publicity or becoming famous. No, he, Jesus is not into size. He is into substance. He is into disciples. Jesus is actually not just trying to convince anyone. In fact, he made sure that he always told people it was going to be costly. I don't know if you remember a passage in John chapter 6 when when Jesus is also talking to another crowd. and, And he actually tells this to this crowd. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is what Jesus is is saying to people. This is Jesus' strategy to gather a crowd. And people reacted to this by actually leaving him. Because they, they couldn't understand what he was saying. People were just, what is this guy talking about? And, 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 and instead of actually, Jesus, instead of reacting this way, like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, let me just explain to you what I meant. No, Jesus, doesn't, Jesus don't, doesn't do that. He actually says, John chapter 6, verse 66 and 67, it's, it's going to be on your screen. After this, many of the, his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus then said to the, to the 12, to his personal, his intimate disciples, do you want to go as well? Jesus is not worried about gathering a crowd. He is not about popularity. He is not trying to be liked. 
He is interested in making disciples. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you are not just a part of a large group of people. You are not just a part of a crowd. You're not just a part of a movement. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians, that's how they determine whether a church is a good church or not. I've heard people say, what's the cool church in this place to be in? And I've heard people say, how many people are in your church? And that's a factor for them to know whether a church is good or bad. So we have mega churches that have 20,000 people in it. Okay, well, that, that means it's a good church, right? They must be doing something right. Oh, your church is only 100 people? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe you guys are not. Maybe it's not working for you. Jesus is not about crowds. He is calling us all to be somebody that is not just a follower. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you won't fit in in the crowd. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you will, you will be probably the weird one in the crowd. Maybe you will be called the radical or the fanatic in the crowd. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you will do things that others won't do, and you will not do things that others do. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you will always be a minority in whatever circle you're in. And that's absolutely okay with Jesus. Are we okay with that? That's what you signed up for when you said, I am a Christian. The next thing I want to point out is that to be a disciple means that Jesus is your priority above anything and anyone else. If you read this and you realize that Jesus uses the word hate, it is pretty radical, right? In fact, Jesus says, you must hate. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife. And he, he, he just doesn't say you must hate religiosity or you must hate something. He, he actually talks about the people that are the most important thing in our lives. He talks about your mom, your dad, and your children. Is there anything else more important than that? Everything that Jesus is in this text is very intentional and is very radical. And he says you must hate them. And that's a pretty strong word. And I'm not going to resource to telling you that the original words mean something a little different. No, the original word actually means to hate, to despise, and to reject. But what does that, what does that mean? Isn't this a contradiction in the Bible? Doesn't the Bible tell us that we must honor our parents? Isn't that part of the Ten Commandments? So that can't possibly be, right? So what Jesus is doing here, he's utilizing hyperbole. To make a point. And he actually clarifies this for us in Matthew 10. He actually says, Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, Pastor and theologian Steve Lawson says about this text, 
he explains this to us. He says, the love that you have for Jesus Christ must be so superior and so supreme compared to the love that you have for those whom you love the most that even the love that you have for your own parents, spouse, and children would be by comparison as hate when compared to the supreme and surpassing love that you have for Jesus Christ. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that to be his disciple... He must be our greatest affection. He must be our greatest treasure. He must be our greatest prize. To be a disciple means that Jesus is more important than anything else in your life. Your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your kid or your kids, your job, your school, your friends, your hobbies, and yes, your life as well. To be a disciple, we need to understand that Jesus is more important than our life. Think of it, think of, think of Christianity, think of being a disciple as, as marriage. How many are married? Don't raise your hand, just, I know who you are. <laughs> you have that look in your face of happiness. Christianity is like marriage. In order for, for it to work, the other person must be more important than you. When you are married, you surrender your preferences, right? In my case, was that I never wanted to watch movies that had the word princess on them. So the first time my wife told me, we need to watch The Princess Bride, I was like, oh, those are two words I'm really not interested in right now. <laughs> and, I, and I was not raised in, in, in America, so I, I was totally, I had no idea. So I, I, I said no for several years until one day she made me do it. And it was a great movie, honestly. <laughs> it is a great movie. And then she told me, Little Princess. And I was like, oh, again? And I, I watched it, and it was great. And then the, the, the sound of music, and, and I was, I, I'm sorry, I'm confessing I like these things now. But, um, <laughs> but I was intrigued. I gave up my preferences for the sake of the other person. And that's, that's, that's how marriage works. In fact, the reason why most marriages do not work is precisely because one person is stubborn. If you are your own priority, your marriage will never work. And that's Christianity. That's what Jesus is saying here. You, you want to be my disciple? Forget about yourself. It's all about me now. You can also think of it as having children. When you have kids, it's just like your salvation. They're freely given to you. They're beautiful and amazing, and, but they're hard. They are so hard. And they immediately become a priority. This little person you have never met in your life shows up, and your entire life is totally changed. Right? Some of you have a, a question mark in your brains because you don't know what I'm talking about. But you will, hopefully. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Kids become your priority. In fact, 
when, when, you, when you say, when you're actually saying, I am a dad or a mom, what you're actually saying is, I don't have a life. It's my life is absolutely secondary to somebody else's life, right? When you're saying, well, hopefully that's how it is. That's how it should be. When you have kids, that's what you're saying. Every time I tell people I have four kids, they automatically know I have no life. They automatically, that's why he looks like that. Yeah, that's what they think. <laughs> well, that's exactly the same as when you say, I am a Christian. When you say, I am a Christian, it means he doesn't own his own life. He is not about himself. His priorities are different than anybody else's priorities. Right? Why? Because he's a Christian. Because now it's Jesus who's calling the shots. Because now it's Jesus who's the priority. Because now it's whatever Jesus wants rather than what I want. But the, the sad reality is that we have actually created this sort of Christianity in which everything works out for us. It's actually like having kids so that they can enhance your life. It's like getting married so that they can enhance or that that person can enhance your life. And what that does is that it kills people. It messes everything up. If your Christianity is about you, then it's not Christianity. Christianity is the end of self. Being a disciple of loving Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is loving Jesus more than anything else. In the words of the Austin Stone song, it's because Jesus becomes better. Jesus is actually better. Christianity is the giving up of what you want for what Jesus wants. Which brings me to my second point. Third, fourth, I don't know what, where I am. <laughs> to be a disciple means that you live a life of sacrifice. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then in verse 33, he says, so therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Jesus constantly says, you cannot be my, he doesn't say it's going to be hard for you, you're really going to struggle through it. No, he says, if this is not how your life looked like, if you're not willing to do this, you cannot be my disciple. This verse 27, where, where Jesus says that we need to bear our cross, th this is the fifth time that in, in, in the Gospels that this phrase is said. And it's the second time in the Gospel of Luke. He says it before in, in chapter 9. But why is it so important? Why is Jesus so emphatic about this cross, about taking our cross and following him? Think of what a cross means. What, what, what does that mean? Well, first of all, what is a cross? At least for the original readers, when Jesus was saying this, he was saying it before he went on the cross. So there was no context of him dying on the cross. When Jesus was telling people this, people had no idea he was about to die on a cross. But everyone who, who was listening to him knew that he was actually talking about a tool for torture, uh, an artifact of death. And he was saying to the masses, 
take up that very thing that kills you and follow me. It's like, I don't know, the, the, the only other example I can think of is like the electric chair, uh, something like that. Take up your electric chair and follow me. Something that will kill you and follow me. People understood what he was saying. It was a common practice to crucify, pe crucify people, and people were terrified of the idea. The cross was not only a cruel and slow way to kill someone, it was also probably the biggest disgrace because you were publicly shamed and executed at the same time. I know that we see images of Christ with something covering his genitals, but that was not the case. The cross was the biggest humiliation anyone could ever suffer. And everybody that heard Jesus knew this. So why did Jesus choose this word? Why, why didn't he just say, hey, it's going to be really difficult to follow me. Hey, hey, you know what? Don't follow me because, you know, you might end up just giving up. No, Jesus chose his words very carefully. And he says, if you don't hate your mom, your dad, and you take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. He was making sure people understood that following him means to die to yourself. Jesus is actually calling people, us today, he's saying, die to yourself and follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. He's saying it will hurt you in a lot of ways, a lot of times. Because Jesus becomes more important than anything. Jesus will take up your life. You will have to sacrifice things you want, things you like, your preferences, everything. Because Jesus demands everything from you. And again, I can't think of any other, a better example than marriage or having kids. That's why I always tell the best thing you can do if you want to be more godly is to get married and have kids. That's what they do all the time. Yesterday, I was trying to, my wife left for the women's conference, my, or was preparing for that, my, my kids were at school, I was by, by myself with Caleb, and I, and I was just like, I'm going to sit down, and, and I'm going to watch the news this morning with my coffee, so he went up to his room, and I, I noticed he had a stick in his hand, and I was like, oh, whatever, so, and I was by myself, I was sitting down, turned on the TV, was about to watch the news, because I, I imagined this, like, peaceful and calm morning for myself. And then I just heard a loud scream out upstairs. And you know, you, you identify how your kids scream? I knew it was a different kind of scream. And then I remember him going up with a stick. And I was like, oh, no. So I ran, and he was holding his mouth. So he was running with the stick in his mouth, and he fell. Thankfully, he was not impaled, but he has a huge gash in his, inside his mouth. And so that just ruined my morning. So there was, there was no more coffee, no more news, no more me putting my feet up, nothing. It was all about Caleb. So I watched, I was like trying to see, he was crying, I was trying to, I stick in my finger and it was just a mess. And, and I was like, should I take him to the hospital? My wife is not here, she's gonna, like it's just all this stuff. But I know it sounds funny, but this is exactly how our life should look like because now our lives are not about us. 
Our lives should be like, oh my gosh, I had this plan, but now Jesus said this, and this person showed up in my door, and now I have to feed them or testify or witness to them. And, and, now, and it's, that's how life is. The point that Jesus is making by telling us to take up our cross and follow him is that we need to do this to the point where he's our greatest affection, to the point where we value Jesus as our greatest prize, to the point where we're willing to do whatever it takes to follow him. Uh, uh, pastor and theologian Dietrich von Hover actually has a book about this. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And he actually talks about cheap grace versus costly grace. And he calls following Jesus costly grace. This is what he says. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Salvation was freely given to us, but the process of sanctification is costly. It's the narrow road. It's carrying a cross every single day. And I love how English, Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors, says about this passage. He says, I granted cause too much to be a true Christian. But what sane man or woman can doubt that it is worth any cost to have their soul saved? When the ship is in danger of sinking, the crew think nothing of casting overboard the precious cargo. When a limb is mortified, a man will submit to any severe operation and even to amputation to save life. Surely a Christian should be willing to give up anything which stands between him and heaven. A religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. To be a disciple means taking up your cross and understanding that your life is characterized by a constant sacrifice, by a constant surrendering. Lastly, I want to point out that to be a disciple means that you live on mission and for the mission. The, the way this passage ends is, is a little odd. Because Jesus suddenly starts talking about salt. He says salt is good, but if salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And, and, and this ending contrasts what Jesus has been saying with the, with the previous, um, whatever he was saying previously. In fact... It's, it's kind of it's weird. Maybe some people did not understand this. But what Jesus is saying is that he's making sure we understand that being a disciple of Jesus means, means in a sense, fulfilling the law. Let, let me explain this. So, so the first part of what we read is mostly about the first commandment. It's about your relationship with Jesus and with God. It's, it's, it's actually loving God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. That's why Jesus says, if you follow me, if you want to be my disciple, it's all about me. You forget about yourself. Now you're going to love me with all your heart, with all your, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So he becomes our priority. 
But then he moves on to say that, that the natural flow, the natural consequence of loving God and, and, and making him a priority is to love others. Because as Jesus would say, he, fulfilled, he summarizes the whole law in two commands. Love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is telling us that being a disciple means that because you love God, because you deny yourself and prioritize God, you will invariably, invariably then love others. So where do I get this from? From Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a, a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before, before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The way we show that we are living a life of sacrifice and prioritizing Jesus is by loving others. A true disciple of Jesus is someone who cares about others, who is the light of the world, who is the salt of the earth. Christianity is all about others. It's fulfilling the law. Christianity gives you the grace and equips you to finally fulfill the original two commands. To love God and to love others. Christianity is not about you. Christianity is not a private religion that you practice. It's not something that it's meant for you to keep it to yourself. It's actually a very public and uncomfortable way of living. Christianity is about sharing with others and helping others becoming or to become disciples of Jesus. But this is so hard for us to do because we naturally gravitate towards comfort and pleasure. We are driven by our own desires. We mostly care about ourselves. And when Jesus calls us to, to, to live a life that it's about him or others, we, we just can't. And that's what Jesus, that, that's, what, that's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is making ourselves a priority and our goal. Sin is taking control of our lives and disregarding God. And this is precisely what we do, all of us here, every day. And the reason why maybe this sermon or this passage is making you comfortable is because it threatens your comfort, our comfort, our plans, our desires. And that is a natural reaction from our sinful nature to God. We reject him because he requires everything from us. And we just can't. We don't want to sacrifice. We don't like sacrifice. And that's why being a disciple of Jesus is humanly impossible unless God himself helps us. And that's the very reason why Jesus came to die for us. Because everything that God requires from us is impossible for us to do it. And God knows that. And he made a way for us to enter or approach him. Jesus did it for us. He knew we were too selfish to do it. We were enslaved to our own sin. And that's why he came and he became our substitute. 
Look at what Philippians 2 says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is the gospel. That is the essence of Christianity. That he loved us. Jesus loved us so much that he himself came and died for us. He is the one who lived the perfect life of sacrifice. He is the one who totally denied himself, emptied himself, left his, his place on heaven and came to earth. He was ridiculed. He was spat on. He was whipped, mocked, tortured, and killed in our place. He literally carried a cross so that we would be saved. He was humiliated in our place. He died and he shed his blood to cleanse us from our sin. And he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And now his victory is our victory by grace alone. It cost him everything. And now he gives us his spirit. He empowers us to follow him, to be his witnesses. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Is that that person who came and died for, for us is now our biggest and the most amazing price. If you are not a Christian, all of this is available to you freely. We cannot live the life that God requires from us. Only through the Holy Spirit we're able to do this. Because the gospel and the grace of God equips us to be his disciples. So I just want to end up with a few considerations. In a city like this one, with, with the demands of life and the pace, work easily becomes your number one priority. Your family becomes your number one priority. All kinds of stuff compete for your attention and your heart. But we need to make sure that Jesus is our priority. How do we know where are we spending our time? What is our number one priority? Some of us immediately know what is it that we're prioritizing above Christ. But there's, honestly, I don't think there's a better way to assess What is our priority that, than actually looking at what are we spending our time on? What are you spending your time on? Who's the king of your time? Who takes up your time? What is it that you spend most of the time? I know we have to work. I know we have to do things. I'm not suggesting that you just don't do anything other than just talk about Christ or witness to people. Maybe if that's what God is calling you to do, do it. But, but if you have a regular job or you're going to school or you're a mom or you're just doing life as anyone else, what I'm saying is, are you making sure that Jesus is reflected in your time? 
That the fact that you are a disciple is reflecting in your time. And I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about reading your word, preaching to people, coming to church, everything. Is Jesus the king of your time? Another great way to know who is our savior is where are we putting our money? And I would use an American saying to say, put your money where your mouth is. What are you spending on? Is Jesus part of what you're spending? Are you giving God the leftovers of your time and your money? Or is it really sacrificially? Is it really taking up a cross that hurts? Is it really something that resembles what you have been given? What are you giving your energy to? I've heard a lot of people say, I really can't stay longer because I have to go to work tomorrow. You know what that tells me? Is that that is a priority. You're willing to avoid what you're doing right now. You're, you're, you're willing to maybe not stay that, lo that long at a, at a meeting or at a party or whatever because you know you have to make sure you're in good condition to, to get up in the morning because, because work is important, right? You're, you're saving your energy for that. Are, you, are we doing this for, for, for Jesus too? Is Jesus... Worthy of your energy, your time, your money. Are you prioritizing his church? Is coming to church a priority for you or is it just something that you do regularly? Are you a nominal Christian? Are you a disciple? And this is, this is something that I, as a pastor I've noticed. There's a lot of people who say things, but there's very few people that actually prove it with their words. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not just saying, I'm a dad. No, it, you, can, you can tell when somebody's a dad. Because everything looks different. Are you prioritizing God and his church and everything related to him? What are you talking about? What is your mouth filled with? Are you talking about Jesus? Is he part of your conversations? Is he part of what you talk about with people around your house, with your kids, with your wife, with your friends? Is he really a priority or you are just somebody who's a follower or a fan? I know this is hard. I know. But I am convinced. In the church I, I pastored in Mexico and in here as well, there's a lot of people who are misled and who are not Christians. You can be a member of this church. You can even fool all of us. And you are not really a disciple of Christ. Because it shows. It's not easy. It's not just justifying everything with grace. It's costly. And the way we know is because when we hear the gospel, we respond to the gospel by actually taking up our cross and following him. And let me just finish with this. It's worth every single pain. Following Jesus is worth every single pain you are going to go through. In the end, the best thing that can happen to you is to follow Jesus and suffer in this life. One day, he will be with you. And he will make every single thing perfect. And we will see him face to face. He will be our biggest and best reward we could ever get. Are you a disciple? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Lord, I pray that today we will all respond to your gospel, to your word, by giving up our lives to you. Lord, I pray that we will respond by choosing to follow you, but not just something we say. Lord, I pray that we will respond in actions, in sacrifice. I pray that we will all be willing, by your spirit, by your grace, by your supernatural help, to respond in a tangible way. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.